So I'll tell you something that um, like kind of tradition-wise within my family, we do this usually once a week, if not more. Some of you probably relate to this. We absolutely love making breakfast for dinner. Anybody do breakfast for dinner? Like it's a staple in our house. We love doing it. The kid, it's like the only meal that all of us say, we love this meal. Typically we have to like talk the kids into it. No, you still need to eat this. Or we make hot dogs and Becky and I will just force ourselves to eat it. But breakfast for dinner is one that everybody in our family loves. And so we go all out for breakfast at dinner. It's not just pancakes. That's like a Saturday morning thing. No, when we do breakfast for dinner, it is pancakes, it's biscuits and gravy, it's eggs, it's sausage, it's bacon, it's the whole thing. So if you were to be in our house, be a fly on the wall watching us create, and I do say create, man, it is a work of art when we do breakfast for dinner. When we create breakfast for dinner, about halfway through, if you were to just be able to hit pause and take a look at our kitchen, it would be an absolute wreck. I mean, you would have flour everywhere because we kind of sort of let the kids help-ish, which you know how that goes. You let your kids help. I've got three kids all under the age of nine. So it's like, hey, you can help, and it makes it twice as hard. So we let them help. So there's flour everywhere. There's pancake batter everywhere. There's broken eggs everywhere. Breakfast makes you use every single pot and pan in your house for the most part. So if you were to hit pause, right in the middle of us making breakfast for dinner, it would look like an absolute mess, an absolute wreck. But if you were to hit play and then continue to watch the events unfold, by the end, you would see a clean kitchen for the most part. You would see a family around the kitchen table with a meal in front of them. And so often we take a look at our lives and we're seeing our lives, but we've hit pause in the middle of something. And we see the kitchen and it's an absolute wreck. It's an absolute mess. There's things everywhere. It's chaotic. It's messy. It's broken. It's stressful. And what I'm hoping we will see is that if we keep allowing God to move and work in our lives, it doesn't stay that way. It starts out as that mess. In the middle of it, it seems even messier. But if we continue to let God move and work in our lives, we see that he works things together and he ties things up and he continues this work in us. So if you've hit pause on your life and you're just looking at a messy kitchen right now, please know this, God's not done yet. He's not done yet. If you've hit pause on your marriage and you look at your marriage, you're like it's just falling apart, it seems like a wreck. He's not done yet. If you look at parenting and kids and, and all the struggles that go with kids, he's not done yet. If you think about your work environment, your workplace, or your career, your lack of a career, and it feels broken and chaotic and stressful and messy, just know he's not done yet. We get that phrase out of something Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1. He writes this, verse 6, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, so he started something in you. He's begun, he's begun something in you. You're in the middle of something. And I am certain that the God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day of when Christ Jesus returns. He's not done yet. Not done with you, not done with me. God's not done yet. And often we just see what it's like in the middle of things. But he's not done yet. 
This entire month, we're going to be studying the story in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a great example of what Paul wrote, that God's not done yet. We're going to come into Nehemiah's life at a place where things are broken, where things are chaotic, where things are stressful, where there's a lot of uncertainty. And we're going to see how God makes good on his promise that we read out of Philippians chapter 1, that God wasn't done yet. See, the story of Nehemiah is a story of struggle and brokenness, but also of faith and restoration. To give you a little context of Nehemiah and where we're going to pick up the story, Nehemiah, prior to, you got to go before Nehemiah's life, the, the Jews, God's chosen people, had disobeyed God. If you know anything about Old Testament scripture and even our modern day Christian, Christianity, that's a cycle we go through. We follow God, then we fall away from God. Then we come back to God, and then we fall away from God. So they're in this cycle. And at one point, when God's people walked away from God, the Babylonians came and took them captive destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed their home, took many of the Jews to be captives in, in, into Babylon. Years pass and the Persian empire now took over. So now these Jews that were held captive by the Babylonians are now held captive by the Persians, the Persian empire. By the time we get to the book of Nehemiah and the story of Nehemiah, we have kind of two groups of God's people. We have one group that's still held captive by the Persian kings. Nehemiah is one of them, a Jew, actually was born in Persia. So the life that he knows is of being a Jew that lives in Persia, a Jew that is held captive and actually is in servitude to the Persian king. Then we have another group of God's people that are slowly making their way back to their home in Jerusalem. So you have those two groups of people in a very chaotic and a very broken world. If you know the story of Nehemiah, spoiler alert, You know that Nehemiah finds out what is going on with his people. He finds out that the Jerusalem walls, the walls have been torn down and burned. So he has a desire to do something to help. So he's going to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But the story of Nehemiah is not really about building walls. Yes, that's part of the content. But the story of Nehemiah and building a wall is really about building and rebuilding a community for God's people coming back to faith. We see how God works in people, how God uses people, how God works through people. But most importantly, we see how God's not done. We see how something that is broken can still be restored. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through Nehemiah. And I'm hoping uh, these might even be worth writing down because I'm going to say them every single week. We're going to start with these two questions. Here's the two questions I want you to be thinking through that I'm going to ask you every week as we go through the book of Nehemiah. The first one is, what does God want to restore in your life? Again, we're we're hitting pause on our life. We're in the middle of something. We all could say there's some brokenness, there's some struggle, there's a discouragement, there's something that's not finished or not right in our life today. So what might that be for you? What might God want to restore, go from broken to restoration in your life? We all have something. Secondly, how might God use you? How could God use you? I told you this story of Nehemiah is also about God using us, working in us and then using us for the people around us and the good of others and obviously for his glory. So what might God be asking you to do? Where might God be leading your heart? What might he want to restore and how might he want to use you? Let's pray. We'll jump into chapter one. Father God, thank you so much for what we get to do today that we get to gather together, we get to open your word, hear from you and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. And I pray that's what happens. I pray that our, our eyes and ears and hearts would be open to you, that we would listen for that still and quiet voice that leads us. 
that you would allow us to respond to you, that you would continue to work within us and we would remember the truth that you're not done with us yet. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible, obviously go to Nehemiah, Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter one. If you do not have a Bible, I highly suggest the version app so you can follow along, read in context. Um, but I'd love for you to have one with you. You can take notes. We've got a bunch of Bibles where you got your coffee this morning. If you did not get a Bible or you don't have one that you can read, make sure you pick one up. That is our gift to you. The best thing that we could possibly give you is God's word. Hang on to it, study it, read it. Um, make sure you're bringing it back with you each week. Nehemiah chapter one, here's how the story begins. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah. In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King's, King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. So even just right there, there's a lot of information of what time it was, when it was, which day of the month it was, and who we're talking about. Verse 2, here's what Nehemiah writes. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. Remember we talked about the two groups of Jews, the two groups of people. You have like Nehemiah's group, which are the people, the Jews in Persia held captive. Then you have this other group of Jews that are making their way back home, trying to rebuild their city. So Nehemiah is in Persia and he hears from his brother and some others. They came back and so he starts to ask them this question. And before we get into the question, there's something we can already see about Nehemiah's heart. And that's gonna be a theme throughout today. Before he even builds a wall, there's a theme revolving around Nehemiah's heart. We need to recognize that it all started, here with Nehemiah, it all started with a truly compassionate heart. That his heart truly cared. We know he truly cared because of the question that he asked Hanani and these other men with him. He asked them, how are things going? How are things going for you, the people, and in Jerusalem? I think the order there is actually pretty important. He said, I asked them about the Jews who had returned and how things were going. He talks about the people first, doesn't he? How, how are our brothers and sisters? How's our community? How's our people doing? And how's the rebuilding going? How are things going in the city? How's our home? He focuses on the people first. And then the place, the people, and then the city, the people, and then the work. And it starts with a heart that truly cares. That's important because again, Nehemiah, even though he's in captivity, so to speak, he's in the palace. It says that he's in the fortress of Susa, meaning that's where the king lives. So you would have to think at least for Nehemiah, like life's not that bad. <laughs> life's okay. Could be better, could definitely be a lot worse. So to have a heart that truly wanted to know, how are our people doing? Because my life is do actually doing okay right now, but how's everybody else doing? That's a heart that truly cares. And it has to start there. If you want to make a difference, if you want to allow God to use you, we have to start with a heart that truly and genuinely, sincerely cares. So here's the response he gets back from Han and I and those with him. Verse three, they said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem had been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So now he gets the reality. Now he sees how messy things are. Now he sees how chaotic things are. Now he sees that this isn't good. This is a big problem. 
I don't think we recognize how big of a problem this is in our modern day understanding and, and culture. So put this in context. Jerusalem has already been destroyed and their people taken away. Now these people are going back trying to rebuild their home. They don't want to be destroyed again. The wall is what helps that be prevented. It's what guards them. It's what protects them. So to not have a wall in the midst of trying to rebuild your city is saying, we're trying to rebuild this, but we're totally vulnerable. We're trying to rebuild this, but chances are good we're going to get destroyed again. We're going to be overtaken again. We're going to be taken captive again. If we don't have a wall of protection, how can you rebuild something if you're still worried about what's going to happen? So he gets the news. It's not good. It's a big problem, a huge problem. And here's his response. Here's Nehemiah's response when he heard about the problems and the brokenness. Verse four, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, prayed to the God of heaven. He heard the news and he could have said, man, that's too bad. Sorry. Man, I hate hearing that. That's horrible news. Can I pray with you? All those things seem so cliche. What does he do? He sits down. And man, that's important. He doesn't run past it. No, he sits in it. So often we want to run away from brokenness and run away from problems, but he sits in it, doesn't move, allows himself to sit in the problem, allows himself to sit in something that's concerning. And he breaks down. He sits down and weeps and mourns, and grieves, and yes, of course, prays. And we see his heart begin to change. Like I said, that's a theme through this part of Nehemiah. Started out with a heart that was caring. He genuinely cared about his people and his community and his home and his brothers. So he asked a question, how are you doing? And he meant it. It wasn't just a greeting. But now it's not just a caring heart. We see his heart break truly break to sit down and weep over what has happened with his people and in his home. We see that his heart broke for something that was broken. It wasn't just, again, a passing, oh, that's too bad. He sat in it. He didn't run away from it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't dismiss it. Well, it could be worse. It's not that bad. At least you're not in captivity. No, he sat in it and allowed his heart to break for what was actually broken, to break for the problem that he knew that they were facing. And then he prays. Now, this next part, I want you to stay with me. It's a longer prayer, so I want to break the prayer up and kind of unpack it. And here's why I think this is going to be helpful. If you're somebody whose kitchen is in a mess right now, <laughs> your life feels very broken, chaotic, you're not sure how this is going to get any better anytime soon. If that's you, his prayer is a great model to follow. How he prays, the parts of his prayer are worth you remembering. That might be your best takeaway today. So let's go through each of it real quick. I want you to see how he prays. This is a man that started out caring and now is a man that is broken because his home is truly broken. Verse five, then I said, this is him praying, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. Now that first part, we see that Nehemiah isn't bringing up the problem, is he? 
He doesn't jump right to the issue, right to the problem. I need you to fix this. And why did you do this? No, he jumps in focusing on the goodness of God right there in a broken place. And so easy when we are broken and when we see lives around us that are broken, it's kind of hard to see the goodness of God, isn't it? Nehemiah models this so well. He focuses first on the goodness of God, the God of heaven. Oh Lord, that's all caps, L-O-R-D. The great and awesome God. Just right off the bat, how good you are, how great you are, how amazing you are, how awesome you are. And then he begins to focus in on what makes him so great. You keep your covenant. You have unfailing love. He says, that's who I'm praying to. Nehemiah makes a point to focus on the goodness of God before anything else, even in the midst of great brokenness and despair. Then he goes on to the next part. You would think maybe now he brings up the problem. Okay, God, I talked about how great you are. Now will you fix this? No, look at what he says next. He says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Didn't see that coming, did we? <laughs> he's broken. He's in the middle of something terrible that his heart has broken for. And sure, we could see how he talks about the goodness of God first, but, but this next part, like he's taking ownership of it. Now remember, Nehemiah was born in Persia. So technically speaking, this isn't his fault but he recognizes that he's still part of the problem. He says, we have sinned. He started out, but yes, that's true. We can go back and look at the history and see what the Israelites did all throughout, the, all throughout their years. But Nehemiah says, yeah, even my own family, like we're part of this. But he didn't just punt it off to them. He said, I, I have sinned. Not just sinned, I have sinned greatly. And then he gives examples. Here's what we did that we shouldn't have done. We disobeyed this. We didn't listen to this. We didn't follow these decrees that you gave us through Moses. This is on us, God. There's blame, but it's not the blame that we would probably expect. Remember, he just got done talking about the greatness of God and his unfailing love. And here he says, and you're so loving, we recognize we're the ones that messed this up, not you, God. In your brokenness, recognize there's probably some fault of our own in there. Not all the time. But we do recognize we live in a sinful world. We are a sinful people. I am a sinful person. Therefore, brokenness happens. And Nehemiah and all the spiritual maturity in the world recognizes where that brokenness is coming from. It's coming from their sin and the rebellion from God. So then the next part, maybe this is when he asked God to fix it. We've talked about how great God is and how terrible we are. So God, maybe you can actually fix this. Verse eight, so please remember what you told your servant Moses. And he quotes, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, which is what had been happening, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. You know what Nehemiah just did there? He doesn't give the reference like we do today. He's quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's quoting scripture to God. God, here's what you said. Now, there's a couple of things I'd want you to notice about that. First of all, he's leaning in on God's faithfulness. So he talks about the goodness of God. Then he talks about their own sin, confession is what we would say. 
But then he comes back and he points to the faithfulness of God, saying, God, you are good, and you're good with your word. What you say is true. What you say you will do. So he brings up a promise of God. You said this, God. You said that if we came back to you, you would bring us back together. That was your promise, and I know you to be a, man, a God of your word. I know you to be faithful. So now he begins to point to the faithfulness of God. If you're in a season of brokenness, this is crucial. Know God's word enough to be able to hold on to the promises of God. Nehemiah knew his scripture enough, even being someone held in captivity in Persia, that he knew Deuteronomy chapter 30, he knew a promise of God. Do you know the promises of God? And in your brokenness, sometimes that's the only thing we can hold on to. He knew the promises of God, and he knew God to be faithful. So verse 10, now are we going to see if God's going to fix this? He goes on, he says, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Kind of an interesting line, interesting prayer to pray. Focused on the goodness of God and then confessed their sins. Went back and focused on the faithfulness of God through the promises of God. And now he's focusing on the power of God. He's saying, God, you are a God that restores you are a God that brings us back. You are a God that rescues us. We've seen that again and again and again and again. And God, it's not because of anything we do. It's because of your great power. We are just your servants. And what Nehemiah is doing is he's reminding, I think, himself through prayer, but also giving glory to God of recognizing who God is and who we are. God, you're the God that rescues. Only you can deliver us. This is something only you can do. This problem is so big, only you can take care of it. This world is so broken that only you can restore it. We're just your servants. So God, we have to rely on you. We have to trust you and we will follow you. And verse 11, now we get to fixing it. But it might not be what you expect. Verse 11, so, oh Lord, this is how he concludes. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Remember, this has been a prayer of God's goodness, a prayer of confession, prayer of recognizing God's faithfulness and God's power and God's glory, recognizing that we are his servants. So he says, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Look what he asks. Here's the ask. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. That's the end of the prayer. And one last line that Nehemiah gives us, gives us a little context. He says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. It's a fascinating prayer for somebody that is truly broken and has seen the brokenness of his people. That last part, that last piece of the prayer, that verse 11, where he says, hear my prayer. And he asks for one thing. Give me success today in the presence of this king. As a cupbearer, Nehemiah would have been very close physically to the king. Some would even say that a cupbearer had a different relationship with the king, meaning almost like an unofficial advisor because this cupbearer would have been at the king's side all the time. Now, granted, as a cupbearer, you would eat the food and drink the wine before the king did just to make sure that it wasn't poison. So, I mean, whether you think that's a great job or not, at least he had job security for a while. <laughs> But he was in close proximity to the king, often, regularly, consistently. And the one thing that he asked, the one thing that Nehemiah asked, give me success today. 
in my workplace, like, like modernize this if you can. He says, in my work day today, give me an opportunity to do something. That's what he's getting at. Notice the change of heart. Let's go back to the very beginning. It was a caring heart. It started with a caring heart. He asked his brothers questions. How are my people? How is our community? How's our family? How's our city? With sincerity, really wanted to know what the current reality was. He finds out that the walls were broken down, which broke his heart, and he allowed his heart to be broken. But through this prayer of brokenness, his heart changed again. We see that in that verse 11. It changed from a broken heart and turned into a willing heart. Because nowhere in his prayer was there a request for God to fix something. It was a request, God, use me. I have a willing heart. Use me to be part of the solution. Yes, Nehemiah brought the problem to God, and it was a big problem. But he said, I, I'm, I can be part of this. God, you can use me. I don't know what I can do, but maybe I can do something. I'm close to the king. I even have the king's ear at times. Uh, maybe I'm in this position for a reason. God, maybe you allowed me to be born in Persia and to be in servitude to this foreign king, this pagan king, maybe for this reason. So God, would you just give me an opportunity? I don't know what the opportunity is gonna be yet, but would you give me an opportunity because my heart is broken, but I'm also willing. See, oftentimes we bring God big problems, which we should, <laughs> Absolutely, we should. Big problems require big prayers. But here's the problem is we often expect easy solutions. So we bring God these big problems through big prayers and then are blown away when we don't get the easy answer. In fact, a lot of times, if we're very honest, we like to pawn off our prayers. We, we pray ourselves out of the solution. God, I need you to fix this. God, I need you to take care of this. God, I need you to change this person. God, would you have this person do that? We start telling God how to organize the people around us. We pray ourselves out of the solution. And Nehemiah says, no, 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 I am willing. Be like if you have this box here. I'm not a big puzzle person. They take way too long. But if you are a puzzle person, here's a puzzle. Right on the front of this box, it is gorgeous. You probably can't see it in the back, but I'm just telling you, it's a beautiful scenery of, of city in the back, beautiful bridge. There's boats and water underneath, a wonderful scene here. There's a couple right here that are just madly in love with each other. I'm sure there's a story there. And you look at this, you're like, this is my life. This is what my life should look like. This is what I signed up for. I bought this at Walmart and this is what it's supposed to be like. Life should look like this, and the kids are playing nicely in their boat. We can relax up here. There's birds flying in the sky. It's a beautiful day. Like, every day is supposed to look like this. My marriage is supposed to look like this. My family is supposed to look like this. My kids are supposed to act like this. My job and career is supposed to look like this. Our financial situation should look like this. We go through our life, and everything is supposed to look like this. And then we open the box. We see the box and we don't believe it at first. This cannot be what I got. This cannot be what I signed up for. All of this, this can't be it. Surely this was not what it was intended to be. I got the wrong thing. I was given the wrong life. I was given the wrong box. So then we begin to pray. Oh Lord, mighty God, 
who can make my life look like this. Pick up these pieces and make them come together. As Moses parted the Red Sea, would you put these pieces of my life back together? And we open our eyes. It didn't work. I didn't pray loud enough. Oh, Lord, mightier than mighty God. And we start going more and more into it. Just maybe I didn't say the right thing. Maybe I'm not doing the right thing. So then we start praying more and more. God, why aren't you picking this up? And then we get angry at God. Say, God, my life is broken. It's a mess and it's your fault now. What did I do to deserve this? What happened to the unfailing love? What happened to that mercy that never ends that Brian always talks about at church? All those people that sing songs are always so happy. And this is what I have to deal with? What did I ever do to you, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is my life in pieces? Why is my life so broken? Because I don't know how to pick this up. There's no way I can do this on my own. That's one way we approach God. And if we're very honest, we do that very often. And that's very natural for us. So Nehemiah gives us another way to pray and another way to approach God in our middle of a messy kitchen and pieces all over the floor. Like Nehemiah, we recognize how great God is. We say, God, you are amazing. You are awesome. You are mighty. And God, I I am a mess. I am broken. I am sinful. And some of this is probably my fault, maybe not all of it but I definitely have a lot of ownership in my brokenness because I'm sinful. And sin equals brokenness and death and suffering and destruction. But God, I know you're faithful and I know what your word says. I know that you are a God of reconciliation. You're a God, you are a God of restoration. And that you sent your son Jesus to begin to pull my life back together, something that I can never do. And God, I recognize your power I recognize that you are the rescuer, that you are the deliverer, that you are my savior, and I am just your servant. So God, in the midst of my brokenness, I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to teach me how to put a piece together. Give me the wisdom to know where to start because it feels overwhelming. Would your Holy Spirit guide me and lead me to have the perseverance to keep going when I get discouraged. Because there's gonna be days where nothing matches up. Would you give me the perseverance to keep going? Would you give me the patience with the people around me? Would you give me a sense of hope and peace and joy when the rest of the world is running around in chaos? So God, I'm not asking you to snap your fingers and magically fix it. But would you help me Would you give me what I need to put two pieces together one at a time? Two very different ways to pray. And Nehemiah says, God, I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to use me. Show me where to start. Where do you start? In his context, it was, I'll start today. Give me success when I go to work today. Allow the king to be kind to me because who knows what might happen and how we can take something broken and start to see it restored again. Maybe your biggest problem, maybe your biggest 
brokenness, maybe the biggest brokenness around you that you've been praying would be restored, maybe God's looking at you saying, I'm, I'm waiting on you to say I'm ready to be that servant that says, I am willing to have a caring heart that leads to a broken heart that changes and turns in to a willing heart of God, here I am. We sang that earlier. Here I am. How do you want to use me to bring restoration to the people and the things around me? Let me give you two questions to begin to wrestle with. And I pray we wrestle with this for the rest of the month. A lot of questions. It's good for you to reflect on these. Here's the first one. What is broken around you? What's broken around you? What, what picture are you expecting to look like this, but in reality it looks nothing like that? What is broken around you? Maybe that is something personal in your own life, addiction, marriage, family, relationships, finances. Man, we could just spend all day going through the list. What is currently broken around you? Maybe it's not so much you, but it's within your vicinity. You've got some people around you that are just hurt and broken. You go to work every day and it is a broken culture at work. You walk your dog through the neighborhood and you just recognize the broken people in your neighborhood that God's placed around you. Maybe you just recognize the brokenness around you. That was Nehemiah. His heart broke because of what was around him, what he saw around him. His life was pretty good. It was the people around him that his heart broke for. So what is broken around you? And here's the second part. Before I tell you what it is, Please hear this. If we're not careful, we can see the brokenness and rush in to be the hero. Nehemiah doesn't do that. Be here next week and we're going to see how this unfolds. But it's a lot longer of a timeline than we anticipated, that he anticipated even. Because we recognize that it starts with the heart. If you want to be used greatly by God, may I suggest you need to first be moved greatly in your heart that it's not just hero complex and a fixer complex. I'm sure none of you fit that bill of a fixer. Care, brokenness, willingness are all conditions and postures of your heart. So may I suggest before you begin building or rebuilding anything, start with your heart. Have an honest conversation with the Lord like Nehemiah did through his prayer and start with your heart heart. Some of you are experiencing brokenness in your heart and in your life because you don't have Jesus as Lord and Savior yet. You start there. Some of you have Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you're thankful for Savior, but you're not living as a servant. You're not allowing him to be Lord. So you're trying to build this by yourself. And she's like, no, that's my job. I'll use you, but it's my job. Psalm chapter 51, David, King David, in his brokenness, said two things I want to mention. Psalm 51, verse 10, his prayer to God regarding his heart. First, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Maybe that's you. God, I just need you to clean out my heart. There's stuff in here that is not of you. I need you to clean out my heart. Allow me to be loyal to you. May I be focused only on you. And instead of asking you to fix everything, God, would you do a work in me first? Because I know you're not done yet with me. 
Second thing, verse 17, David says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repent, a repentant heart, O God. In other words, like Nehemiah, God, I am a mess. And maybe I'm starting to realize that I'm more of a mess than I first realized. Maybe I'm more broken than I first considered and thought. But when I open the box and I see all the pieces, now I'm starting to get the real picture. So God, would you break my heart? You know, that's such a great prayer to pray. If your heart is not broken for the things that are broken, if your heart is not broken for the people around you that are broken, ask God to begin to break your heart. So maybe you need a clean heart. Maybe you need a repentant heart. I don't know the condition of your heart, but I wanna give you a chance between you and your Lord and Savior to have that conversation here in just a minute. What is the condition of your heart and how do you need your Lord to begin to change it? Because he's not done with you yet. No matter the brokenness, no matter the brokenness around you or in you, you're in the middle of it. And anytime you pause in the middle, it's gonna look terrible <laughs> and messy, but he's not done yet. And he will not stop until the end of time when you are, as we're told, complete. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the promise that we have in you, a promise that doesn't focus on us as much as it focuses on you and your greatness and your grace and your love. God, if anyone here doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that it begins there with our heart saying, God, I am a sinner. I am messed up. My life is a mess and I need a savior and I need a Lord. And that's you. If we confess with our mouth, if we believe in our heart that Jesus, you are Lord and that you've been raised from the dead, then scripture Romans tells us that we will be saved. May we have a clean heart as we confess that today. God, maybe we just need to allow you to break our heart and begin to rebuild our heart. Before we try to rebuild our lives, would you rebuild our own heart? God, do a work within each and every one of us so that we can, like Nehemiah, say, God, I know you're not done, but I want you to use me. Use me for the good of others and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.